0: Right. Cantos 3 to 9 of the Inferno. First of all, two preliminary notes. Looking back to Canto 2, verse 116 for a brief moment, it will be remembered that Beatrice's eyes are described as shining through tears, It should be noted that throughout the Commedia, tears play an important role. (coughs) There are those which are shed purely out of self-pity. Tears which may even freeze due to the solitude of our egoism. There are tears that are purgatorial when we weep as children. Tears are also shed as we approach the divine compassion. All the mystics speak of the gift of tears. Perhaps we lesser mortals may know something of this condition when we are confronted with radiant beauty, say, through music, poetry, nature, or in the presence of a person much loved. Such tears need not be a romantic indulgence, for they may become cleansing, purifying the inner life. Secondly, when we were considering the symbolism of a circle, we should have added the importance of another symbol, the spiral. Dante's descent into hell is taken by an anti-clockwise path, whereas he climbs Mount Purgatory clockwise like a heliotrope flower. The sunflower, for example, in the West, has generally been taken as a symbol of the pilgrim's way as the soul follows the light of the true sun, S-U-N, the divinity. Note further symbolism related to the spiral. Sometimes we think we are ascending, as did Dante during his early career. In fact, he was descending. Sometimes we have to descend in order to ascend. Though Dante descends into hell, spiritually he is beginning to ascend as he recognizes the true nature of the hellish worlds. Banana skins are mercifully placed before our pride. The question is whether we learn through our falls and failures. Canto 3 Hell's Gateway, inscribed with an obscure colour over a portal of the gateway, are the well-known lines. Permessi va nella città dolente, permessi va nell'eterno dolore, permessi va tra la perduta gente. Giustizio mosse il mio alto fattore, feccemi la divina postestate la somma sapienza il primo amore dinanzi a me non furon cose create se non eterne e io eterno duro lasciate un'esperanza voi che entrate lines 3, 1, to 9 through me you enter the woeful city through me eternal grief through me you enter among the lost. Justice moved my high maker. The divine power made me, the supreme wisdom and the primal love. Before me nothing was created. If not eternal, eternal I endure. Abandon every hope you who enter. Lasciate voi che entrate. The concept of empire, and remember that Dante was living in times when the Byzantine Empire and the Holy Roman Empire still existed, was inspired by ancient Rome and is a theme that underlies the Commedia. Hell's is Lucifer's empire, the world is Caesar's, and heaven's is God's. The concept of empire is closely related to that of the city, for without a real wholesome city there can be no empire. The true archetypal city, the fulfilment of all imperial longing, is the one seen by St. John at the end of his series of visions in the Book of Revelation. All earthly cities should be a reflection of the eternal city otherwise they fall under the prince of this world and the power of Lucifer. Wise rulers may for a generation or two encourage the city to mirror true power, wisdom and love. But as we shall see the wheel of fate turns and (coughs) civilizations rise and fall. I will reign. I reign I was reigning, I reigned. According to the concept of free will, there must be permissible the state of rebellion against the creator who gives life. And the story of Lucifer's fall among, with, with the rebel angels is fundamental to Dante's cosmology. And he portrays this fact in haunting imagery. Thus Lucifer's empire is the abode of la perduta gente, the lost people, rendered by Dorothy Sayers as the lost creation. Interesting to show how translations can shift meanings at times. It is a dark, woeful abode full of grief Curiously, there are souls that cannot wait to take up residence there and join in the blasphemies, cries and torments. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Psalm 14. Ah, all my mates will be down there, and down we'll go and have one hell of a good time. Hence for Dante, the creation and its laws calls the possibility for a state of mind that we can call hell and which is opposition to the divinity's power, wisdom and love. Look carefully at those words, for they are attributes of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Hell is opposition to the God who calls us into relationship and he through whom we learn relationship. Hell is the looking at the mirror on the wall and considering oneself the fairest of all. It is the self whose indulgence in lust, pride, avarice. It is said that the that energy is at the beginning of time elected for such a condition spirits of negativity or opposition call them devils asuras Jinns, evil spirits whatever they rejoice in our spiritual warfare and easily weave their way into our consciousness and speak within us with many tongues on reading the words of the inscription dante cries out like any poor mortal Senso loro meduro. Their meaning is hard for me. 312. Virgil gives him short shrift and warns him once more of cowardliness. The poet must descend into hell in order to recognise his own compromise with the spirit of negation. According to Dante's teaching, Spiritual cowardliness is one of the fundamental failures of the human condition. The lack of decision, procrastination, the endless making of excuses, qui qui s'excuse s'accuse, as the French say, such a condition leads to where those who have perduto il ben dell'intelletto, have lost the good of the intellect 318 to lose the good of the intellect is to let go the grasp on matters true and the knowledge that we were created in the image of the Creator and are called once more to grow into his likeness this is according to the book of Proverbs 20 and 27 the spirit essential to our humanity, and is referred to as the candle of the Lord within us. Let us explore the significance of hell a little more in the light of Dante's fourfold polyseminous understanding of meaning concealed within his tale. Literally, It is quite simply one of the most fascinating descriptions of hell ever to come from the fantasy of a poet. Perhaps the most fascinating. However, Dante would emphasize that the evil one is, is a reality and his spirits lurk about the view of infesting the mind and consciousness of men and women. To this day, these rebel energies are at times exercised, cleansed, and told to go back to their true abode. Evil, for Dante, is no laughing matter. Allegorically, we are reminded that there are essentially two ways of life, as the first psalm of the Psalter reminds us. There is a way of blessedness, and there's a way of unrighteousness. This is not some Sunday school tale, but fact. The thoughts, words and deeds of a person make him or her what they are. It is like a game of chess. Each move we make opens up all sorts of possibilities. It's not a matter of black or white, left or right, rather the dimensions of our life open out as we relate and decide which route to take in those relationships. Decisions taken in response to the higher worlds bring bring about all sorts of possibilities that become honed down as we move closer to the great mystery. As for the adversary, and our moves as we play his game, they always become increasingly limited. They become haunted with negative thoughts, leading us to loneliness. Morally, the concept of hell is closely related to that of the law. The breaking of the commandments summons up hell in our midst. Furthermore, Abiding to the left of the law alone, devoid of the spirit, leads to infernal manacles. Under such a narrow regime, the creative, imaginative life wilts, eventually bringing rebellion and anarchy. Somehow the chains have to be broken, somehow the soul has to be set free. And of course, this is one of the great themes in the writings of William Blake. Anagogically, and the anagogical is a word that comes from the Greek meaning to be taken, lifted up. Anagogically, the concept of hell stresses the fact that it is our choice whether we figuratively ascend or descend, the choice is ours. Once more the game of chess returns to mind. Our moves are never perfect, often confused. Thus opens the unique book of life that each one of us is writing with our thoughts, words and deeds, and which, we are told, will be eventually opened and known whether they are in the great book of life or not. Not to be implies to be cast in the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 15. Perhaps we sometimes hear those words spoken to Adam in the garden. Where art thou? Genesis 3, 9. Our answer determines where we are. Dante acknowledged that he was in a dark wood, enslaved by his passions. His exile is akin to the wounds we all receive as we contend with the marketplace of life. The joy is that they may become the means of our metanoia, our turning and salvation. Virgil, the good of the intellect, places his hand on Dante and proceeds to lead him among le segrete cose, the secret things. Inferno 3, 21. Dante passes the threshold and contrary to the inscription's warning he has not abandoned hope He is not a lost soul. He will not suffer eternal pain, but passes on towards the città dolente, the woeful city, inferno. Sorry, I've got to miss, um, it must be 3-1. a Why? Because hell has been hallowed by the Lord's Incarnation, Passion, and Resurrection. The descent into Hell has shattered Hell forever. Death is overcome. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death on those in the tombs bestowing life. The Easter Traparian of the Orthodox Church. The Christian descends into hell to know the magnitude of sin and the subtleties of the evil one and his spirits. In the light of St Siloan, the Athenite's teaching, such a descent is permitted to make us humble for the selfhood's mask is gradually, gradually revealed for what it is. To know hell in this sense is to discover the need to intercede for the whole of mankind. For at last (coughs) we see how sin, like a serpent, so easily creeps and twists into our lives. I may just go aside from my text for a moment. And since Siloan had a vision over Christ in a moment of great despair, and our lord said rather strange words to him he simply said keep thy mind in hell and it took a so long time to puzzle out what was meant by that by keeping his mind in hell he was free of pride and furthermore felt a deep empathy for the whole of mankind the hordes and hordes that pass us by say as we make our way to this place, and he his whole life was given to the intercession for the whole of mankind. And I think there is a deep teaching there for each and one of us. And what does Dante hear on entering hell? Cacophony. Consider well 3 verses 22 to 29. Cacophony in hell is a fundamental image. It is a concept that is not truly recognized as to its full implications until paradise is known. Paradise is the source of all true music, right rhythm of the Lord, of the dance, perfect harmony to invoke the cosmos and inspired melody to inebriate the soul. Music teaches Dante... Music, teaches Dante comes from the divine light, for light causes response, growth and movement. Just as the sun draws life out of the ground, so the light of the spirit draws life from the soul. In this world, trees and plants grow according to proportion and number, echoing the laws of harmony. They literally dance as they grow and modern photography has caught their movements of growth for us all to see. So it is in the divine life where the light of the Spirit causes the angels and souls of the blessed to dance to the harmonic music flowing, flowing throughout the cosmos. It may even come to us. For example, it comes from the a profound silence from which comes the deep secret of true melody. This is when, as St. John Damascene said, it is when each note calls to the next. This calling is the profound relationship of sounds and is true melody. And true melody, as Orpheus and Tamino in the magic flute learnt, tames even the base energies enables the lover to move through Hades and to regain his beloved however music may in this life carry the unseen warfare invoking the good and the bad in our world there is the music of paradise of purgatory well they call it music but I think it's cacophony music of hell, or the sound of hell, the noise of hell. Sound carries within it the intention of the composer, also the interpreter, and depends on the hearer for a right response. For the tradition to which Dante belonged, there is a strict rapport between ethics and the quality of sound. Rarely do musicians recognise the power emanating from their music-making. Hell only knows cacophony. There is music in purgatory, but there, as we shall see, it is reserved for worship and as an aid to contemplative prayer, for in purgatory there is much inner work to be done. But once in paradise, from the silence of the divinity, will come pure sound. It is the source of all true and enduring music. Dante's thought is based on Boethius, who taught that there are three kinds or degrees of music. First, there is the music of the universe. Secondly, what he calls human music. And thirdly, instrumental music. Human music is known through examining ourselves and nature in the light of the ancient wisdom. It produces harmony between mind, soul, and body. Instruments depend on sacred science in order to be to be made for the sound to come from them, and all um, musical sound is based on harmonic proportion, so there is this this relationship of, of number from the highest to the instrument we have in our hands. From the start we have come to an essential doctrine of the Commedia, the significance of light. In hell there is no light as such. The dim light that is about us are the shadows caused by the fires of the abyss. Figuratively, it is very much like the dim artificial light of bad restaurants that like to disguise their bad food. It recalls even the bunker-lighting light of a bad art show. I won't tell you which gallery I'm thinking of. It is the light of Plato's cave where the prisoners are called caught by shadows cast on the walls, the media manipulated by evil spirits. Dante describes the air as dark and timeless, like sand when a whirlwind blows in three fifty one. For sure it's polluted. Next heading is Hell's Vestibule. The two poets find themselves in hell's antechamber or vestibule. It's an amazing place for here are the souls or shades of the unwanted, either by God or by the devil. In this life they sat on the fence and opted for neither the good nor the bad. They are the easygoing of the world, totally devoid of the spiritual life. What is more frightening is that they are mingled with that base band of angels that were neither rebellious nor faithful to God when there was war in heaven and St. Michael cast out Lucifer and his crew. To receive these fence-sitters into paradise would debase its very meaning. To allow them to go to hell is just as crazy and would debase the meaning of hell. They are unwanted and go unwanted in the spiritual worlds. It is a frightening spectacle. The rabble that was once for itself alone and followed any flag to be waved or opinion to be pronounced. Is a grim spe- spectacle. In this world, they look to themselves alone and their material well being. Virgil actually notes that they are haunted by envy, ever casting backward glances over their shoulders at their neighbour's lot. Hence their punishment of endlessly following a never resting flag darting here, there, everywhere. Moreover, gadflies and wasps sting them, and ghastly worms squelch around their feet. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Revelation 2, verses 16 and 17. Virgil's advice is, Non ragion di loro, ma guarda e passa. Don't let's discuss them. Just look and pass on. And so we find the lines, E dietro venia si lunga tratta di gente, chi non avrei creduto che morto, Tanta ne di fatta. which Eliot so memorably paraphrased in the Wasteland under the brown fog of a winter dawn a crowd flowed over London Bridge so many I had not thought death had undone so many I presume the implication here is that the average run of city workers Are so preoccupied with profit and loss that they are ready, that when they are in their offices, they are so preoccupied with their investments and their rise and the fall of their investments that they forget totally the ethical um, consideration behind the use of capital. Dante sees the shade of Pope Celestine V, he che fece per Vidal del Gran Rifiuto 360, by giving up the papacy to Boniface VIII, a totally corrupt pope who we shall meet time and time again, and, as we shall learn, was Dante's particular bête noire. Here we have another major theme of the Commedia, decay and corruption of the papacy in the 12th and 13th centuries, and Dante's belief that judgment would ultimately come upon it. In this sense, Dante is a forerunner of Savonarola, and senses that conditions for a reformation will eventually surface in historical time. The Acheron, the first of the rivers of hell, The poets reach the first of Hell's four rivers, the Acheron, or the Joyless. The significance (coughs) of these rivers in the greater scheme of things will be discussed further down the sides of the abyss. Sufficient to note here that the the others are the Styx, the Phlegeton, and the Cocytus, where Lucifer himself, will be found. At the Acheron, the shades of the newly arrived queue up in order to be shipped across by Caronte, so admirably portrayed by Michelangelo at the bottom right corner of the Sistine Chapel's Last Judgment. For Dante, the sy- symbolism of a ship or boat may range from the ark floating safely across the waters of materialism to this wretched, run-down state of a bark which depicts the level that our intellect has descended to. He amplifies the significance of the crossing of the Acheron by falling asleep no I fell like one falling asleep. Canto 3, 135. By this he means that it is hard to retrace just how and when we left the narrow way. To fall into sin is to fall asleep and to be separated from the higher worlds. Dante here crosses the joyless Akron, one could say for a second time because of St. Mary's prayers for his salvation. He has been given the grace to understand the nature of hell and the hell of his own making. The souls of the lost contribute to the cacophony. They blaspheme not only God and their parents, humanity, Place, time, and seed. Do we not hear this cursing all about us? Here and now. In the streets, and even projected by the media. Dante reminds his reader that such a condition comes through the lack of the fear of God. Such is a riva malvagia, an evil shore three one oh seven and in lines one hundred twelve to seventeen the imagery is of falling autumn leaves and rotting humus such is the abyss a stinking compost heap what is implied here that sin is permitted in order to make us grow or simply rot and be eaten up by slugs. Once again, we recall the paradox of St. Augustine's O Felix Culpa, perhaps also the deeper significance of the parable of the sower. Now, Cantos 4 to 8. This well known sequence of verses, spiced with powerful imagery, requires a little explanation as to their deeper meaning. Once set in the overall plan of the abyss, it is soon noted that these five circles, limbo, the lustful, the gluttonous, the hoarders and spendthrifts, and the wrathful, represent to us how the good of the intellect is lost, and how through its loss, darkness closes in on us. The following interpretation is based on the ancient understanding of human consciousness. It was considered that our consciousness was made up of our intellectual and emotive faculties. Thus we have the intellectual, imaginative, perceptive energies that have to be balanced the discriminative rational faculties Then the sensory gifts of the senses that give rise to our feelings and emotional energies likewise have to be balanced. Both the intellectual and the emotive faculties have to be balanced like the four points of a cross, our consciousness being, as it were, the intersecting point of the cross's arms. To have all balance would imply simply perfect consciousness for the most part we see soar about like giddy children in a playground Plato described the imagery as a chariot being pulled by a black by black and white horses representing the intellectual and the emotive energies the charioteer is thus ourselves as it were trying to control the pull of the horses as the charioteer, charioteer presses on. So we come, and bearing that in mind, we come to Limbo. This is the state of mind when we lose what the Greek fathers called the nous, the highest point of the intellect, that holds all our energies and faculties in balance and which links us to the higher worlds limbo is the state of the unredeemed mind um, if i may just interpolate there and um, of course virgil is in limbo but he represents the good of the intellect but without that essential gift of grace that only comes through the knowledge of Beatrice. You have to go along with Dante's imagery to get the the deeper significance here. Don't forget, though Virgil is very real in the Divine Comedy, he's essentially an aspect of Dante's own self. Limbo is the state of the unredeemed mind. For example, when we squander the proper use of the imaginative and perceptive faculties, we quickly become the plaything of our passions. Our rational faculties are swayed by our physical desire, and we quickly become victims of lust and carnal desire. But such a state does not satisfy us. Indeed, the opposite is the result. And we are trapped in an ever-increasing vortex of desire, of wanting. And the opposite is the result. We are trapped. Indicated by Dante, by the vice of gluttony. We must grasp, have hold, own. And the selfhood is increasingly deluded to have, hoard, display, even strutting about like a peacock with our wealth. The result, as we shall see for Dante, is being eventually overcome by anger or a deep self-pitying melancholic depression. On one level, limbo seems fine with its meadows and pleasant walks. At the centre is a fine castle. Dante gives it the seven gates of classical Thebes, the city where tragedy is acted out. Here, no doubt, the passions are held captive by the ancient psychic qualities of the Ptolemaic understanding of the planets. We wax and wane like the moon. We are mercurial like Hermes, difficult to tie down, prone to theft. The earthly Venus gets domination over over us. The solar energies puff us up with pride and we become a stiff-necked people. Mars has a romp from war to the boxing ring. We yearn for a little jovial spirit to intoxicate us but the humour is usually forced. Virgil's abode is Limbo. Dante is met by the wise of old and they crown him with a poet's laurel leaf. What's going on? Here is the good of the intellect, but without the gift of grace. Degrees, awards, investitures, whatever, are of the fallen world, and in no way indicate redemption. Thus, limbo is literally, as described, a rather pleasant Oxford or Cambridge, filled with intellectuals who willingly impart this or that aspect of knowledge, say, over a pleasant drink. Ultimately, it is an easy dream world, full of potential knowledge, It may become a bit of a bore, unless the pilgrim path is taken, as did Thomas Traherne many years ago. Allegorically, limbo is a state of mind. Humanism may be noble, but it is also rather cold in sentiment, unless inspired by charity. Morally, in limbo, we are cut off from the true and intellectual worlds of the noose. Anagogically, it is the fruit of the fall, a place where there is no prayer, where the soul is unable to accept itself through lack of faith, embrace the promise of better things through hope, and abandon itself through love to the divine mercy. Limbo, the soul deludes itself. that It's all right. Though a certain nostalgia for something not properly understood lingers in the mind. The next circle, the lustful. When lost in a mindless limbo, it is easy to fall into the beguiling pleasures of sexual exploration. Canto five is, along the episode of Count Ugolino in Canto thirty-three the best known of the Inferno. It has inspired artists and composers. Without doubt, the verses commit themselves to memory with ease. Every word and image easily haunt the mind. Lust, as we have seen, was a sin Dante unashamedly accused himself of. He knew the subtle charms by which men fall for a woman, A woman, as if a cobweb is woven around the mind, drawing the lovers to embrace embrace a mutual fate. Che mai d'amè non fia diviso. Canto 5, line 135. Sexual loves remain with one, for the unity of male and female is a sacramental mystery che come vedi ancora non mi of five, 105. Sexual passion is for Dante like a storm, a bufera, that may be sanctified through marriage or may simply be infernal. Once caught in its storm it takes the individual here, it takes him or her there, anywhere. There is no peace for a person caught by lust. One love simply leads to the next. By taking the tale of Paolo e Francesca, Dante was dwelling on an event of the day. It was <coughs> top news. To add spice to the tale, the lovers were murdered by a jealous and deformed husband. I may be by this Dante is suggesting that lust is a sort of death, for the redeeming power of love eventually becomes obscured and lost in the storm of the passions. Though adulterous lovers imagine themselves alone, they are, in Dante's imagery, caught up in a multitude, everyone's doing it, like starlings whirling around from building top to the next. De quoi? De là? De Dissu. There is no hope of rest from the basic carnality of lust. Rest will never come to them. Desire will even torment them in their age of impotency and senility. Dante in particular blames the suggestiveness of imagery as a prime culprit for capturing the fantasy. And leading it onwards from illusion to act. Here in the poem, he condemns the romance of Lancelot and Guinevere. Cheap stories, cheap films, the kitchen sink, the soap opera, with all its episodes, are thus singled out. The minds that produce such trash are deep in hell, in Dante's mind, their shades condemned, as we shall see much lower down, in the circle of the falsifiers. But at the end of the day, on reading and re-reading the episode, the figure of Francesca that fascinates, just as Dante wished her to. She appears to him as charming as a dove, ready to settle in a nest. She willingly tells her tale, her words draw the poet in like a web, and wrap a net all about him. She tells how it was love that was quickly kindled that trapped her and her beloved Paolo. It was love that absolves no one from loving, for it seizes couples with physical delight. It was the love that brought them to death. That's the when she was. They were both murdered by. Um, and um, her husband, canto 5, lines 100 to 108. Dante is totally captured by her, her story, her easygoing nature, her willingness to please, her seductiveness. In the language of the street, she charms the pants off him, as the world would say. She totally dominates the scene. Men love her. They are enslaved by her. Paolo, her lover, never utters a word, whilst Dante swoons and falls like a dead body falls. E cadde come corpo morto cadde. Francesca, let there be no doubt about it, is an aspect of the power of the feminine mysteries. We move on to the next circle... Gluttony. Lust leads to gluttony, for the senses once aroused become grasping and demand more. And once again, I, the imagery of William Blake comes to my mind. Boccaccio tells us that Chaco, that's one of the characters that Dante talks to, a nickname meaning pig, was a nobleman famous for his gluttony. Now he wallows in mud, sodden by heavy rain, hail and snow. Alas, an indulgence that once seemed warming and pleasant has turned cold and bitter, like the taste to the palate when overindulging in a good wine. All the liquid has ended up as acid. Next circle, The Hoarders and Spendthrifts. The senses, when overindulged in, lead to sterility, insensitivity. The spectacle of these souls rolling about their huge boulders is a chilling image. Some push on desperately, others bump and clash as the infernal joust is displayed before Dante's eyes. He sees a good number of clerics, cardinals and popes but cannot make out one single individual, for an undiscerning manner of living has made them dim to all discernment. Their lives have been robbed by their own mal dare, bad giving, maltenere, bad holding. They are lost in a monotonous joust of keeping up with the Joneses and the whims of fashion. The whole charade is now exposed to what it is. A vanity. Next heading are the ancient mythological beasts. A few thoughts on the significance of these beasts. Minos, Cerebus and Pluto. That Dante borrowed from the Aeneid might help. They are fearful images of our passionate lives. Like Minos... We easily judge our neighbours and, in our minds, send them helter-skelter down to hell. We catalogue love them in our minds. Him there, she there, and as for that lot, they're beyond the pale, and so on. Cerebus, the monstrous dog with three heads, symbolises our root causes of the misdirected, passionate life. Pride, envy, avarice. Such a beast is full of malice and hatred. He stalks the corridors of power and loves the political games people play. He is the prey of his own appetites and a mere mouthful of earth thrown by Virgil satisfies him. Pluto, the ancient god of grain, or better, possession. Money, for in times past, was a full barn of grain and was a sign of status. Immediately, like a coward, calls for his father, Pape Aleppe, Pape Satan, or something like that. I can't quite remember the words. He is silenced by simply putting him in his place. Here there is implied the need to unmask the spirits as we encounter them. There is a right use and a wrong use of money and our possessions. Dante is explicit. In order to know the powers of the abyss, we must beware of judging others. Likewise, likewise, eschew our malicious twists of mind and stand aside from the mad pursuit of money. And that obviously leads us to the next image, the the wheel of fortune. We are guided in the Christian life through the ministry of the angels and above all by the preventing grace of the Holy Spirit. To err through sin implies that we fall victim to the rise and fall of fortune. Luck does not come into a Christian life. Fall comes as a blessing through the fatherhood of God. A Christian does not say, oh, I've had a good stroke of luck, but rather I have received a blessing. According to Dante, uh, Fortune's wheel of Rego Regnavi, Sum Sini Regni regnabo is turned by an angelic intelligence, presumably implying that through fate we ought to learn from the signs about us. As the wheel is ceaselessly turned, wealth is transferred from race to race, from nation to nation, from individual to individual. Fortune lies in waiting like a snake in the grass. All the worldly wisdom known to man cannot withstand fortune's fateful turning of the wheel. She foresees, she judges, and pursues the inevitability of the rise and falls of worldly matters. Her changes know no truce. Her actions are swift and do not miss the mark. She is reviled but ought to be blessed for she teaches us and may lead us back to the way of grace. Win a fortune on the lottery and rarely money will bring happiness unless it is given back to the giver of all things. And next, the circle of the hateful or anger, a foul spring, a foul spring before the two poets bubbles up through the mud, its murky liquid, and makes a spring. This they follow to a great, the great marsh of the river Styx, meaning the hateful. Note that this is the first time that Dante has described his descent. So far he has just drifted from circle to circle. Does this not imply that he is beginning to recognise the mess he's got himself into for the loss of the good of the intellect? deep in the Stygian Marsh are the souls of those consumed with anger and self pitting melancholia. To lose the key to our consciousness, the good of the intellect, implies ultimately to be consumed in hateful anger or to sink so negatively into ourselves that we submit to despair. The sticks is where joy is no more. As the poets cross the watery marsh in Phlegas's skiff, a wretched soul lifts himself up on the side of the boat, trying to clamber ab- aboard. Who are you, come before your time? Remember Dante has his body and is alive amongst mortal shades. If I come, I do not remain. Who are you who has become so foul? Remember here that Dante is is essentially meditating on the Paschal mysteries as he assists the liturgical rites of the Holy Week in the year 1300. He, like his Saviour, is descending into hell in order to know the hell within him and so to learn true metanoia. You see that I am one who weeps. Then in weeping and sorrow dost thou remain, accursed spirit, for I know you, even if thou art disgustingly filthy. Up to this point, Dante has fallen asleep, fainted, been perplexed, grieved, pitied, and has trembled at the sights he has seen and the dialogues he has held with the damned. Now, for the first time, something is stirring within him and is beginning to see sin as it is, vile, degrading, dangerous, perverse. He stands and rejects sin once and for all, and stands on God's side. Virgil, the good of the intellect, thrusts the damned soul back into the marsh. He turns to Dante and says, Indignant soul, blessed is she who bore thee. Virgil is hinting at Luke, chapter 1, verse 42. He is implying that the Christ within Dante is beginning to stir. He is becoming Mary-like, enabling her son to be born in his heart. At last he has recognised the anger within his own consciousness instead of being driven by it and becoming, and is becoming a penitent soul. And as we read through the Commedia, we shall note that Dante has much anger in his soul and much to expiate. Remember also that all the souls he meets are projections of his own psyche. He is unmasking the potential for sin lurking in his own heart. Note, Note also that the damned soul was a certain Filippo Argenti. So called for he shot his horses with silver hooves. He came from the Adimari family who opposed Dante's recall from banishment. Silver hooves, flashy stirrups and spurs, nothing has changed. Today the Filippo Argentis of this world drive expensive cars with personalised number plates and suffer from road rage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let us recap and make a few notes. The gate leading to hell. Well, you can come across it anywhere and at any time. Likewise, hell's vestibule of non-commitment is all about us too. Our ascent to sin is made almost unconsciously, And the Acheron, you remember, is crossed as if in a dream. Limbo's rose-water intellect leads to subjection by the passionate life. Hence we need watchfulness. It is only too easy to be beguiled by fantasies. The West has excelled in the temptations of our imagination from the Michelangelo's to our voyeur chat shows on television. At least Paolo and Francesca have each other. They still have a sense of mutuality. Whoever desire leads to indulgence, and indulgence leads to a fleshy route of living, call it gl- gluttony, whatever you will. However quickly, how quickly we are lost in spending and hoarding trips. How quickly we are lost, sorry, in spending and hoarding trips. Materialism easily causes personal and social antagonism. Antagonism becomes Stygian hatred, a condition which we may describe as joyless. The only hope is watchfulness and the stirring of all that is good within us to acknowledge the christ who needs to be born in our hearts therefore we may conclude that these circles of upper helm represent the manner in which we lose right consciousness that is through the wrong response to the energies through which the soul comes to know the creation and the ways of the world. Uh, spiritual growth depends on the right understanding of the role we play and the interplay we play with all other relationships. So we come to the city of Dis itself. This is really hell. The upper hell, well, is an illustration of how we lose good consciousness, the good of the intellect. The city of death, this is hell, proper. Once across the Styx, the poets find themselves before the walls and gates of this, hell proper. The walls are made of iron, indicating that our will has become the vehicle of the evil one. If upper hell teaches how we lose the good of the intellect, and the wretched state of that condition. Lower Hell, regardless of its medieval imagery, its irony and humour, is a horrific exposition of how sin binds the heart. For those who have the good of the intellect, the tale is there to instruct. Here, at the city walls and gates, there is a concealed and profound teaching concerning the feminine mysteries. The city of hell is defended by the Furies, the avenging goddesses of antiquity. They are said to haunt the souls of those who have committed great crimes. Dorothy Sayers notes that these nightmare chimeras are the image of fruitless remorse that does not lead to repentance their leader is the Medusa who turns all that behold her to stone that is the the despair that invades the heart once it is unable to repent one could say that the Medusa is Lucifer's consort and that the Furies are his concubines Hell proper opens through the misuse of the feminine and becomes eventually frozen in the ice of the masculine self-will. Therefore, in hell proper, the true feminine is nowhere to be seen. The receptive Beatrician beauty and grace that receives heaven's seeds had already disappeared long before we met Francesca da Rimini. Now we are left with the feminine as a major destructive force. She is here the supreme illusion that drags us down. She is the mirror on the wall in the tale of Snow White. She is the horrendous spider that weaves its web. Any woman may invoke Lilith and weave a web and trap her lovers those fools who think they are, that they are having a good time but who in reality are having their blood sucked dry you will know, when we get to Purgatorio, you will see that Dante consi- considered the male semen as a, ro- a result of an alchemical quintessence within the blood that's something to look forward to The true feminine, trapped by the Medusa, cannot be known until Perseus tricks her to behold the horror of her own image. Medusa is the myth, in the myth, had once been a Gorgon of great beauty, but she allowed Neptune, and Neptune in Neoplatonic imagery represents the materialistic mind, But she allowed Neptune to obtain her favours in the temple of Minerva, meaning wisdom, hence her power and total ugliness. The hidden teaching of the strange verses, Dante calls them strange verses, should speak to each one of us according to our degree or station of consciousness. Hell is my will be done not thine be done. Human understanding is powerless when confronted with such deep-rooted evil within the soul. Virgil, the good of the intellect, cannot persuade the furies to open the gates of this, to allow Dante to enter. Humanism alone cannot know the depth and reality of evil. The best Virgil can do is to shield Dante's eyes from beholding the Medusa. A wonderful image. This is a crucial moment in Dante's tale. (coughs) And he draws the reader's attention to the fact with a memorable Tetzina. That's 8, lines 61 to 64. O voi che avete gli sani, mirate la dottrina che s'asconde sotto il degli versi strani. O you who have sound understanding, mark well the doctrine that is hidden beneath the veils of the strange verses. How can the iron chains around the heart be broken? How can we be free of the great delusion? How can we crumble the stony heart to dust? How to know once more the true beauty of the feminine? How may we descend into the dark recesses of the soul and allow divine grace to weed out sin? How do we fight the unseen warfare At this point of spiritual growth, not in our will, but His, and thus learn the mystery of divine grace, which is the theme of the whole of the Commedia. We have to learn to receive life as a gift, a blessing. Luck, fortune has nothing to do with it. Hence, A heavenly messenger, an angel, descends from on high, having the whole of hell in contempt. He simply touches the gate and it opens. There is no (coughs) resistance. Why kick against that will that can never be thwarted of its end and which many times has increased your pain? He says to the cowering rabble. So the angel at this point teaches us that only divine grace may stir the conscience. Only divine grace may open the heart. Only divine grace may safeguard the mind from false doctrine. Though God requires the cooperation of our will, it is only through the Holy Spirit that our thoughts, words and deeds are held by loving, preventing grace. We will have, we have to will to undo the selfhood's grasp of the psyche. But he will do the rest. Think of two key passages from the New Testament. He must increase, I must decrease words of John the Baptist in St. John the Evangelist Gospel 3 verse 30 Nevertheless not my will but thine be done. Luke 23 42 Note that when the gates are flung open Dante sees the burning tombs of the heretics false teaching doctrine. And heresy are the first signs of nether hell, for they bind our wills to our selfhood. The so Medusa's first curse is to turn the heart to heresy. Beyond that, the whole abyss opens up for what it is. Thank you.